Father, we ask for your uh, insight, your wisdom as we continue to go through baptisms here. Uh, Part two, we ask that if we have questions in the group here, that those would come to the surface, that you would enable us, Lord, to really understand what these things are since they are the elementary teachings of the Christian faith. Baptisms are the basics. So help us with this, Lord. Help us to retain the information and be able to give others a reason for the hope that lies within and do that with gentleness and respect. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get into the uh, just reviewing what we have here and get into the spirit baptism, did anybody have any questions about baptisms, any one of the baptisms, what they are? We're all good with it, right? Okay. I'm just going to review for those who didn't uh, have the chance to fill in. So water baptism is a baptism of repentance. It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Uh, And he told everyone that wants to be a disciple to get baptized. Therefore, in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And why don't people get baptized? Because they may be ignorant, haven't had the proper teaching. Uh, Another word could be uninformed. That might be better than ignorant. Ignorant has a negative connotation to it. Also, procrastination. They just haven't done it. Um, Like chores around the house, not going to get done. Defiance. They just don't want to do it. You can't make me. You can't make me. And then unregenerate. They're not baptized. They may be in the church, but they haven't been born again. And also indifferent, like, so what? I don't care. Whatever. Uh, then, what does the word baptism mean? Pouring, sprinkling, or immersion? And I gave an example last time of Nicander, who gave an example of making pickles, how you have to boil the pickles, and then you have to immerse them. And the two words in the Greek are bapto and baptizo. Bapto is a temporary dipping. That's what you do with water. And the pickles, you put them in boiling water for a short period of time, and then you put them into the brine solution, and they remain there, and that is baptizo. And that's what we're supposed to do when it comes to water baptism. And it seems that immersion would seem to be the mode. Uh, John 3.23 and Colossians 2.12 talk about how being immersed in the water is the same as Jesus being buried and rising from the dead and so that's why you are fully immersed is because jesus went fully into the grave what is the meaning of baptism theological views are baptismal regeneration Uh, catholics teach this it means that god will impart saving grace and and it results in the remission of sins second view is the sign and seal of a covenant means initiation into a covenant and a sign of salvation Circumcision was for the Old Testament, baptism for the New Testament. Thirdly, it's a symbol of our salvation, an outward sign of an inward change. It doesn't produce a spiritual change in the individual, although it can be a spiritual event. Also, who should be baptized? Disciples. Anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a hearer of Jesus Christ, but somebody who wants to study and learn and know what God's will is. Why should we get baptized? It's commanded by Christ and the apostles, both in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 that I just read to you, and also Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where people, or Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Secondly, it is a testimony of true faith and repentance. Anybody who wants to be a disciple, obviously they've gotten saved, they're just being obedient. It's one of the signs that somebody is saved. Uh, When should we get baptized? After receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. After a confession, a verbal confession of faith. Should children and infants get baptized? Uh, There is no direct direct command in Scripture, nor is there a prohibition in Scripture. If somebody insists, we'll do it. But we practice dedication as Jesus was dedicated in the temple in Luke chapter 2. Does water baptism secure my salvation? 
No, you are not saved by works. Baptism is a work, therefore baptism cannot save you. And we are not saved by works, lest any man should boast about this. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Uh, The Church of Christ would teach that salvation is a work of faith and therefore you must be baptized in order to be saved. Some of them would go so far as to say you must be baptized in their church in Jesus' name only. Uh, That's their formula for doing it. And if you happen to leave their church, they will say that you were never really saved. Not all the time, but um, it's pretty much the thinking in uh, a lot of the churches that are out there, that particular brand of church. What if I was baptized before I was saved? Infant baptism, should I get baptized again? If you made a confession of faith, I would say yes, get baptized again. After all, little ones do not know good from bad. What if a young child wants to get baptized? Well, we don't make it difficult, as I explained to you last time. If a little child comes up and says, can I get baptized? You just say, well, do you know what you're doing? And they respond in a way that lets you know they don't really know what they're doing but they're probably going to throw a fit or the parent is going to be offended, get them baptized. Just throw them in the water and say, there, you're baptized, and then walk on. I'm just kidding you. Just get them baptized. There is this baptism for the dead. Now, this is not something to be practiced, but it is a proof that Paul was using. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the resurrection chapter. And he was stating that the resurrection was, in fact, still to take place. There were those who were teaching it had already taken place. There are those who were teaching that it would never take place. Sadducees were of that particular ilk. Uh, They did not believe in the resurrection or in angels, anything spiritual. But this baptism for the dead, Paul was quoting a secular poet when he was starting to make the case for this and this baptism for the dead is something that pagans actually participated in. And so Paul says, you know, what about these people who believe in the resurrection? What about, um, excuse me, lost my train of thought there. He, he would make this case. What about the pagans who believe in the resurrection and then baptism for the dead? They believe in the resurrection. That's why they get baptized. And so he was making a rebuttal against those who didn't believe in the resurrection because of this baptism for the dead. It is not that the pagans practice. It is not something that we're to practice as Christians. And as I told you last week, the Mormons do practice this. Uh, Baptism of suffering. Uh, Jesus obviously underwent a baptism of suffering and so did Peter and so did all the apostles. All the apostles suffered. And as I believe I said last week, there is suffering going on all around the world and you're not hearing about the Christians who are being slaughtered, uh, literally slaughtered everywhere around the world except for here uh, right now, especially in the 1040 window. There is a figurative baptism First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 talks about this our forefathers were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea it's just figurative it just means that they're identifying with those individuals or the, that particular thing into the cloud uh, into the sea the cloud being the Shekinah glory of God probably and the seed being the death burial and resurrection going into the water they identified with Moses like passing through this life and on to the next one uh, baptism with fire this is speaking of the judgment and our purification deals with first Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about wood hand stubble gold silver and precious stones at the end fire will be put and I believe it's metaphorically implied here It'll be put to our piles, and that's the reward we get for doing our works. And there are works that are done from selfish reasons, selfish motivations, and works that are done simply for the glory of God, and we want no reward here on this earth. And so God is going to test those works, and whatever remains, that is our reward. That's why it's important that we do works here. If we're not doing the works, we will get into heaven, and Job talks about being saved by the skin of his teeth. 
In other words, you can get to heaven, but you may not have much reward. Now, if somebody wants to make the argument, well, yeah, but look at Billy Graham. He's going to get all kinds of stuff up there. And, you know, I just live in Lakeside. You know, what's, he's going to get so much more. It doesn't work that way. The way that it works is to whom much is given, much is required. So he has much responsibility and he will be rewarded. And I would imagine if you use the uh, parable of the Minas, 30, 60, and 100 times what has been sown, well, I think that he's going to get 100%. If you were given a particular task to do, a seed was planted in you, if you produce 100%, you get the same reward. You get 100%. So it's not like you're not going to get anything. All you have to do is do the basic works that Christ set up for you to do before the foundations of the earth. Then it begs the question, well, what are those? Start doing works and you'll find out. You'll know which ones are the works God wants you to do. You'll take joy in the task that is before you, whether it's teaching or the gift of helps or whatever it is, a gift of craftsmanship. You'll take much joy in that and you'll want to do it all the time if you're led and guided by the Spirit. And then there's the baptism of the Spirit. There are three different views on this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is equal to water baptism. Secondly, the baptism of the Spirit is equal to conversion, or it happens at salvation and is part of the conversion process. And thirdly, it is a second event. And I believe it is a second event. There are some dangers here with the baptism of the Spirit. We talk a lot of theory about the working of the Spirit without ever letting it disturb our lives in any significant or creative way. Secondly, we simply give up because the subject is all too confusing and we push the subject to the edge of our thinking. And thirdly, we hungrily flock after the emotional experience of the Spirit on which we build our theology regardless of the Bible's teaching. We don't struggle through the issues. Now, just to pause here a moment. Who has not seen the televangelists slain slay somebody in the spirit anybody has not seen that you've all turned on the television and you've seen these you haven't seen that oh turn on benny hen all right well maybe you don't want to turn on benny hen <clears throat> what they will do is uh, just to explain what you are watching there they will get a couple of deacons behind you and through the power of suggestion, uh, they will slam you on the head. They'll pop you one on the head, and you'll just go over. Or sometimes they'll just walk towards you, and then you go over. You stiffen up like a board, and you just fall back. And the deacons are there to catch you. Hopefully they catch you as you go back. Then there is this baptism of the Spirit that they call baptism of the Spirit, where the person just goes nuts. And I have seen that, and, and I've always been a skeptic. Uh, my parents, my mom, and my grandmother, my grandmother would call up my mom and say, Billy Graham is on television. Turn it on. Tell the boys to watch Billy Graham. And so we had this little black and white television, my brother and I in our room, and we'd go, all right. You know, so we'd turn it on, and we'd watch Billy Graham, and then we'd start mocking him. We'd start trying to do his North Carolina draw, you know, and and we were pretty good at it then. I couldn't do it now, but uh, we kind of made fun of that stuff, you know, and these guys who do the baptism of the spirit, they are all over the place. And when I watch it, I just, I get incensed that they are trying to deceive people. It's kind of like the leg stretchers. You guys know what the leg stretchers are, right? It's where somebody lays on a table and they have a leg that's four inches shorter than the other one. And then they pray for the Lord to heal them. And magically the camera is on that foot and it just comes in line with the other one. And they say, praise the Lord, send in your check, right? That's what they say. If you watch these things, most of them, not all, but most of them, they're after money. And that's another thing about false teachers is they're after money and they go into great detail about what they have seen and what they have heard some of these guys are benny hen kenneth copeland creflo dollar uh you guys want to name a few that are who i didn't hear that 
Mike Murdoch? I haven't seen Mike Murdoch. Oh, really? Oral Roberts used to be good, but he's made this slide when he started saying, if you don't give me $8 million, the Lord's going to take me. And I said, have a safe trip. You know? Um, Oh, Peter Popoff, yeah, he was the one with the prompter in his ear. He would walk through the crowd. His wife would be in a trailer. Before you went into the meeting, they had you fill out a detailed card, who you are, what your ailment is, what your name is, what your age is. Then the person would take it and put a description of you on the back. The camera would pan And Peter Popoff's wife would be in the trailer saying, over to your right, there's that guy that's in the green sweater and white hair. He has arthritis in his right hand. And Peter Popoff would say, the Lord's telling me there's somebody in here, white hair, green sweater, has, what is it, arthritis in the foot. No, no, the hand, it's in the hand. Is there anybody in here like that? And so then they would focus on this guy and the camera would zoom in and he'd say, send in your money, you know, after that. And the guy was a complete charlatan. And so there are individuals like this out there. It's name somebody in scripture who wanted to pay for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that guy. Who, who's that guy? Yes, Simon the, Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts. He saw that there was this power going into these individuals and he wanted that. And so he was willing to pay the apostles for the privilege of getting this baptism of the Holy Spirit and he wanted to make money off of it is what he wanted to do. And Peter said, may your money perish with you. And you know, you can go and read the story, but there are these people when this power manifests it's and you can see it in people sometimes it manifests i i need to digress a little bit there's this idea of the gifts of the spirit the gifts of the spirit are in different categories there is the ministerial gifts of the spirit there is the apostle the prophet the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. These are offices that the Lord has assigned. That's why there's pastors worldwide. I don't believe apostles are for today. Uh, They were part of the foundation of the church. I don't get argumentative about it. If somebody wants to say that they're an apostle, I will ask them, what miracles, signs, and wonders have you done lately? Because that is what follows an apostle. Signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, he raised anybody from the dead lately. Gone into the graveyard and take them right out of the grave. In the hospital, in the morgue, have you opened up that slider and the people just got up? To tell me what you have done. And so that's why I don't believe that apostles are for today. The prophets, I think prophets are still for today. I think a lot of people want to be prophets. Not a lot, but there are a few out there who want to be prophets. And I don't believe the office of a prophet has ceased because there are two prophets that show up in the book of Revelation. And they are named as prophets, which means the office of a prophet, it never says that it begins, it ends, and it begins again. It's, I don't think it's um, real prevalent today. If you go into some of the places where the gospel hasn't reached, I think that this happens. I think the people are, you talk to missionaries or read missionary stories, people are raised from the dead. Not all the time, but it happens. And so there are these gifts. Then there's the gifts that God gives us in order to affect the body. And those are the gift of knowledge, um, uh, the gift of healing, uh, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, all of these things. The gift of tongues has been abused by the church, although I believe in the gift. I believe that there is a particular time and place it's supposed to be used. I went to a church that everybody would speak in tongues at one time, and it just weirded me out. And I went there a few times, and they kept on doing it. And it was right in their statement of faith. And 1 Corinthians says, don't do it. Two or at the most three are to speak, one at a time. And if there is no interpreter present, let him remain silent. I mean, it's pretty black and white in Scripture, the way it's supposed to be used. And it's always communication directed towards God. It's never God speaking to humankind. 
because that is prophecy where God speaks to us like thus saith the Lord. So there's all kinds of problems with this. Well, with the baptism of the Spirit, gifts can be disseminated at that particular point. It is believed that the Apostle Paul, when he laid hands on Timothy, he got, and the elders did, he got the gift of teaching, and he was told to fan into flames his particular gift. In other words, use the gift. So, going back, how do we form our own opinions about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is? Well, you have to exegete the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it means you have to give the Bible's view of it. You can't start with your pre preconceived notion. That would be eisegeting, not exegeting. Exegeting is you get all the verses on baptism of the Spirit. If you notice, I think on your outline, you have all those uh, references on the back at the bottom. Do you have those? Did I put those on there? All the verses? They are. So if you want to look up a bunch of verses on baptism and baptism of the Spirit, there they are. You can look them all up. And then after you have them all together, this is called inductive Bible study, you can find out on your own what baptism of the Spirit is, or at least how it's explained in Scripture. And you don't want to add anything to it, and you don't want to take anything away. Scripture tells us four times. Uh, book of Proverbs, I know it's in the book of Revelation. I think it is in... Uh, Ecclesiastes, and I think Deuteronomy. Four times we are told not to take away or add anything to the Scripture. The book of Revelation says if you do, all the plagues of Egypt will fall upon you. Uh, so it just don't do it, and that's how we exegete and not eisegete. Eisegete is where you have your own opinion and you force it into Scripture and you say, see, like baptism for the dead. If you went up to a Mormon and say, why do you practice baptism for the dead? They say, well, it's in Scripture. Well, it's not telling you to baptize for the dead. It's just using that as a proof that there is a resurrection. He's not telling us to baptize for our ancestors. So we want to exegete, not eisegete, and do the inductive rather than deductive reasoning. That's where you gather all the facts first. As soon as the conclusion is made, you use your deductive reasoning after that. Deductive reasoning, you start with an assumption or, or conclusion, and then you use a couple of verses to back it up. People do that all the time. They have a particular belief, and they go to Scripture, and they find one or two that they think matches up with whatever it is they believe. Same thing with baptism. People go to a particular scripture, one or two, and they'll say, baptism saves you. After all, Peter said it, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And there's a whole Bible study around that. I'm not going to get into that right now. But this idea, we get all the facts, just the facts, ma'am, Joe Friday. And then we make a conclusion after that. So, references to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are there any? Yes, it exists. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that is the word baptized with the Holy Spirit that is used there. And with fire, we know that that is the judgment or judging of works. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I would Now, some people say, some, it was just for the disciples, right? John the Baptist is speaking to multitudes out there. He's not speaking to just the 120 in the upper room. He's speaking to multitudes that this is available for whoever wants it. First John 133, or excuse me, John 133, I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 11, verse 16, same thing. So this idea that you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the baptizo. This is taking the cucumber and putting it inside the solution and cooking it, so to speak, over time. And it transforms 
the cucumber into a pickle. Again, it doesn't save you water baptism, but this, or even, excuse me, water baptism doesn't save you, but the word that is being used here is being fully immersed. Now, you are fully immersed not in water, but in the spirit. At this particular point, you're probably in your mind trying to put this puzzle together, going, how do you get dipped in the spirit? I'm, the spirit is a spirit. How does that, it's like wind. How does that take place? Whenever we talk about spiritual things, the flesh has a tendency to go, eh, ixnay. I, I don't want you, that's pig Latin, by the way. I don't want you, your flesh says, I don't want you to get into this because it's contrary to the spirit. The spirit is contrary to the flesh and the flesh is contrary to the spirit. And the two shall never meet. They war against each other. And so when you have a spiritual teaching on the baptism of the spirit, some people brace like this. Their fingernails get a little tight and white underneath their chair or wherever it is. And they go, you know, there's just a lot of weirdness out there. And I would agree there is. But I don't want you to miss what the Lord may have for you. So the working of the Spirit. What does the Spirit actually do? The Holy Spirit. Now, he is a person. We went over that when we dealt with the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened both in the Old and the New Testament. Exodus 31.1 talks about this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur from the tribe of Judah, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And so God fills us up. The best way to illustrate that is a cup of water, a cup, and you pour water into it. You fill the cup up. And Christ says that he will fill us up to overflowing, right? So if you have the Spirit overflowing, just like water, it's going everywhere. But with water, you say, oh, quick, get you know, give me a napkin, give me a paper towel. It just got all over the place. With the Spirit, you just say, nah, let it run. It's, it's good. You know, and you just let the Holy Spirit move. You don't want to, quote, unquote, quench the Spirit. That's what Scripture says. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Like, calm down, would you? Just calm. Stop talking about the Lord so much, would you? Just knock it off. I've had enough of this churchianity stuff. You know, people will do, they will, they'll desire to quench the spirit. If you've ever gone out witnessing, this happens all the time. You'll be talking to somebody and then somebody else comes up and they want to get in the conversation and steer it in another direction or they're just distracting you completely and you're trying to focus, you know, you're filled with the spirit, you're giving this person verses and it seems like they're going to make a commitment somehow and Satan and his little imps come along and they just try to disrupt that and they're trying to quench the spirit, what the spirit wants to do. And you have to be aware of that. That's why you go two by two. One person witnesses, the other person is praying. If somebody comes up and you have another person there, he quickly grabs that other person. Let's go talk about this. And, and then that individual that you're talking to can get the full gospel, so to speak. They can understand what is going on. You can explain everything one-on-one. Well, uh, anecdotal story when we went to Israel a guy from China was there and they poured out of an English language class on Grafton Street and I was talking to him and I had the drummer uh, he was a drummer up at Maranatha and he was praying the whole time and I was witnessing to this guy and by the time we got done I said you want to accept the Lord he goes yes I go wait do you know what you're doing he goes yes you really want to go to heaven yes okay so I prayed with him And that was it. And there were distractions all around us going on. And this guy was taking care of it over here. He would take care of the distractions and he was praying. And so this idea of being filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, that happens after you're baptized with the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event, just like being saved. It's a one-time event. Now, you probably did it two or three times just to make sure it stuck. And you might ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit two or three times just to make sure it sticks. You don't want it to rub off. And then... After that, it's just being filled. Now, there are times where you're not filled with the Spirit. For instance, when you're in a fight with your spouse, you're not filled with the Spirit. Unless you're right. No, I... (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. No, you know, if you're warring back and forth, it's just, you know... 
You're not being filled with the Spirit. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So if you're walking with that, being led and guided with the Spirit, you're not going to end up getting in a fight. Somebody may want to fight with you, your spouse, but you're just a non-participant. And you're walking in the spirit because you're a non-participant, which makes your spouse even more angry. But, you know, that's kind of how it works. Being filled with the spirit, it, the spirit is love. God is love. That's what you're going to have when you're filled with the spirit. And going on, being indwelt with the spirit. Now, both Old and New Testament talk about being indwelt with the spirit. Ezekiel 3.24, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Uh, Romans 8.11 says... And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Corinthians talks about this, that the Lord gives us his spirit to live inside of us. And he promises never to take his Holy Spirit from us. That's how we know we have the guarantee of salvation. If we're truly saved, the Spirit lives in us. And you might say, well, how do you know? It's just not your own head. You get used to hearing his voice. You just know when it is. For instance, when you pick up the phone and somebody you know is on the other side, if they don't say their name, most of the time do you know who it is? It's because you're familiar with them, right? Well, the same thing with the Spirit. If the Spirit is communicating something to you, you know who it is after a while. You get used to his voice. Even Jesus said that, my sheep hear my voice. And you're able to be led and guided by the Spirit as long as you're not trouncing into sin. If you're doing that, the Spirit doesn't speak. But if you're walking in him, he will speak. This is part of being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt. He is, the, again, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Uh, going on with this. So what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Baptism is equated with the equipping of the saints for service. In Acts chapter 1, I'd like you to turn there, actually. Acts chapter 1. Just grab a Bible, turn on your Bible app on your phone or however you do it. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to jump ahead here quickly. I'd like you to hold your finger there and go over to John chapter 20, verse 19. Okay, so we just had Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll read it again as you're turning there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is something new, something they hadn't experienced before. And the disciples had already been given the spirit to live inside of them. This happens in John chapter 20, verse 19, or beginning at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. In other words, he materialized inside the room after he said this he showed them his hands and side the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the lord again jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me i am sending you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit if you forgive anyone his sins they are forgiven if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven so the disciples had already received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was dwelling in them. When you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he's referencing something in addition to that. 
that they had already experienced. Remember, that was after the resurrection. So he blew on them. They received the Spirit. And then, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power. This is our English word that we get dynamite from. The Greek word is dunamis. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you or on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will be able to die in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word that is used there for witnesses is marturis. Marturis is where we get our word martyr, and it means to die. And so God will give us power like dynamite to die and be a witness for him. To explain it another way, if somebody comes up and says, recant your belief in Jesus Christ or I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to give you a minute to do it. Somebody who has this power would say, I don't need a minute. I'm not going to do it. And they would be able to endure and go through. God gives them the power to be martyrs. Now, not all of us are going to die a physical death because we are a witness for Christ. But all of us have to die, not spiritually, but in our flesh. We are commanded to crucify the flesh, put it to death. God gives us the power to put it to death, to say no to the things of the flesh. This is what he does. If there are believers who are out there who do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they are not walking what would be known as a powered-filled life of the Spirit. They are able to do things that God has wanted them to do, namely be a witness for him. That's it. That's the baptism of the Spirit. Now, sometimes when this took place, there were evidences that were manifesting that people were being baptized by the Spirit. Some of these, they'd be speaking in tongues. And that's a whole other study. When we get to the gifts, I'll go through this. But some people say it's gibberish. Some people say it's a heavenly language. Some people say it's an earthly language that you didn't study, that God just gives you. This happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, some people say, well, it could have been they heard in their own tongue. In other words, God gave them the gift of interpretation. And I don't believe that because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're getting the gospel, right? So I believe they spoke in other tongues. If somebody was there from China, one of the apostles, one of the disciples, was speaking Mandarin, and they'd never learned it. And, you know, uh, Japanese, if somebody was there from Japan, they were speaking Japanese. If somebody was there from Russia... They were speaking Ruski, you know, and they understood what was being said. Even though the individual who was speaking in tongues did not necessarily know what they were saying. That's how it works. Now, there are modern days examples of this, and it's quite a showy gift. If you get this gift, you may think you're something. But Paul had to step in in 1 Corinthians and say, no, I don't think so. You're the bottom of the rung. You are the first rung on the ladder. The greatest gift is what? Prophecy. It's prophecy. That's the top one, speaking for God. If you have that gift, Paul said, I'd rather speak 10,000 words, or excuse me, I'd rather speak, what is it, 10 words in prophecy than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And so he, the Corinthian church thought you were really spiritual if you could speak in tongues. And I'm going to tell you a personal story, not my story, but a story that was related to me. I played worship back about 100 years ago at Calvary Chapel La Mesa, and there was a guy who played lead guitar. He was next to me. His name is Mark. And Mark was telling me the story how some overzealous friends wanted him to receive the gift of tongues and the baptism of the Spirit. And it just wasn't happening for him. And they'd grab his chin and they'd start taking up his chin up and down just to get it, you know, kind of like a motorboat where you wrap up the rope on it and you run da, 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 like that, say Hyundai, Hyundai really fast. And then you'll just 
flow right into it. They were trying everything to get this guy to speak in tongues and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, this this isn't working. Let's tie him to the chair. So they tied him to the chair like he was going to go somewhere. But they tied him to the chair so he would be captive and held submissively. And it never happened for him. And bizarre things like this go on where people, they want to or somebody else wants you to have it and they give you this practice regimen just go ahead home and practice this and maybe you'll get the gift of the spirit it's just all a bunch of nonsense if somebody ever encourages you to do that just say see ya you know just take off don't even listen to them because that's not biblical whatsoever it's just the flesh trying to make things happen are we ever commanded to ask for the baptism of the spirit no we're not specifically told to ask for it but are we ever encouraged to ask for the gift of the holy spirit yes it is in luke chapter 11 turn there please i'd like you to see this luke chapter 11 we're going to verse 9 luke chapter 11 verse 9 and by the way uh, just a note on the tongues There are some people that would say everybody can speak in tongues. Scripture says no. There is a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. It says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? The answer is no to each one of those. It's a rhetorical question. So not everybody can speak in tongues. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, this is where we are encouraged to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks to receive, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give to the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So this, it's implied here that the children are Christians, fathers and children. The only way you become a child of God is by accepting Christ. So He's saying those who are already in Christ can ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are encouraged to do so. We're not commanded. But we're encouraged to do so. Is the gift of the Spirit the same as the baptism of the Spirit? Yes, it is. It is mentioned several times in Scripture. Uh, Let's see. Acts chapter 10, verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And this is where the manifestation, the tongues of the prophecy, it comes into play because of the baptism of the Spirit. But it's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is where you are exegeting the the Scriptures. How is baptism of the Spirit received? First, by faith. You have to believe it, just like salvation. Um, When I first got saved... Nothing. So, okay, now what? I said the prayer. Is that all? Okay, I guess I'm saved. And I walked away, and I wasn't sure if it took, so I walked forward a second time. You know, a different event. Okay, I walked forward. I don't feel any different. I got to say, third time, this is going to do it. Yeah, same thing. It's like, Was I waiting for something, you know, to happen? Nothing happened whatsoever. So it's by faith that you get this baptism of the Spirit. It's just like salvation. You have to believe that you have received it. Also, it is done in Scripture by the laying on of hands where an elder or a pastor or apostle, evangelist, somebody comes forward and they lay hands on you and they pray over you and you may receive some particular gift. Does something often happen or not often happen well things happen sometimes sometimes most of the time things don't happen you can be baptized in the spirit and you can speak in tongues you can be baptized in the spirit and you can cry you can be baptized in the spirit and you can prophesy you can be baptized in the spirit and nothing 
And you go, well, all these guys got that. And you walk away thinking you didn't get the baptism of the Spirit. But it's by faith that you receive it. Okay? People get so confused by this, and it's really so simple. A third way in Scripture that this happened was by hearing the Word of God. Peter went and talked to the house of Cornelius, and as he was speaking, the baptism of the Spirit came on them. And they all went down and got baptized in water. And you can be driving down the road in your car, and you think about it, or maybe you don't think about it, and the Lord just fills you up just baptizes you right there it can happen then and you get the sense of peace or joy or love or all of the things that are in uh, that's congruent with the spirit himself is there always a manifestation of some kind when the someone receives the baptism of the spirit and is it always the same the answer is no and no i already told you about cornelius paul in ephesus they spoke in tongues and they prophesied simon the sorcerer he saw something but nothing was talked about there's no record of a manifestation of tongues or prophecy there. And so the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and Gideon and David when the Spirit of the Lord would come on David or on um, even Saul. They prophesied. That's what they did. They prophesied. And so uh, when you pray, something may happen, something may not happen. Who can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anyone who asks. Um, I got four minutes here. There are people who would say, uh, one of my favorite teachers actually, says that the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts are not for today. Uh, John MacArthur. I love John MacArthur's teaching. I love his commentaries. But when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit, I couldn't be at the farther end of the spectrum on this. This is based on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. In there, it says, where there is knowledge, knowledge will cease. Where there is prophecy, prophecy will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. All of these things will pass when the perfect comes. Many people believe that the perfect is Scripture. Once we get the whole of Scripture, all of these other gifts are not necessary. Well, tell that to the missionaries who go down to South America or over to Africa, where the Lord just moves on them why don't we have a lot of that here uh taking place people being raised from the dead and all that because i think it's a lack of faith why didn't jesus do many miracles in nazareth because they didn't believe how many people are turning to atheism or agnosticism or really don't believe that are even in the church and so because of the lack of faith i believe that this doesn't happen there are many people that talk about through church history the baptism of the spirit uh, a couple of these guys are Ignatius, 35 to 100 A.D. Of course, people would say, well, that's okay. He was there at the beginning of the church. Justin Martyr, 180 to 165. Irenaeus, 130 to 200 A.D. We also have people like Augustine, 354 to 430. John Wesley, 1750, which is the 18th century. Charles Finney. 1792 to 1875, D.L. Moody, 1837 to 1899. They all talked about the baptism of the Spirit. Let me wrap this up. There are people, since they haven't experienced something, they want to say it doesn't exist. And this is where the experience, many churches get into trouble about the experience. And they have an experience with God, and they think by going back to a particular church, they can repeat that experience over and over and over and over. And they go for the experience. They don't go for the word of God. That's the danger. Because once you experience God like that, it's like, wow, I never knew. I was told that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the same as salvation. I was taught that. The Lord decided to give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was teaching a Bible study under this particular ministry. And when it happened, I was like, what is this? I didn't speak in tongues. It happened when I was praying at a Bible study. I was baptized with the Spirit then, and it's like the Spirit took over the prayer. And then I, I didn't know what it was, and so after 30 seconds or so, I said, okay, I, I think I should stop. And I just, what was that? And so I went back and I started asking, oh, that wasn't anything, you know. And it was unsolicited. I didn't ask for it. It just happened and so you guys can have the same thing but 
I will tell you several times we've asked for it before that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We'd go to pastor's conferences. Line up to receive the baptism of the Spirit. You'd go up. Okay, I think I'm a pastor. I'll go up here. I'll get prayed for. I walk away. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you'd see most of the people going up there going, you know, walk away. Wow. I don't know, man. They say pray for it. You get it. You know, and it didn't happen for a lot of people. And, and so I don't want to sensationalize it, but I do not want you to miss out on it. Because once you got it, the Lord, when he fills you up after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he gives you the power to be his witness. And that is the greatest thing. That's why we're here. So what I'm going to do, we're right at the top of the hour. I'm just going to say a prayer for you guys. And uh, I'm going to pray if you want it and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something may happen to you. Great. Nothing happens to you. That's okay. If you get all weirded out by this, we'll talk about it next week. Just make sure you come back. All right? So let's pray. Father, um, the worship songs were sweet. And they were directed towards you and your glory. And you told us that if we ask for anything according to your will, we receive it. And we know that we are encouraged in Luke chapter 11 to ask for the baptism of the Spirit. And Father, I would pray for everyone in here that even as I am praying, they would receive this by faith. They would understand that this is what you have for them. That you would begin from the top of their head and go to the bottom of their toes. Just baptize them, immerse them completely and your love, the love of your spirit. And Father, I pray that as this takes place, they would know what it is to be filled with your spirit, to walk in renewness in a renewed life, to forsake all sin, to call upon you for that which is right and good and just and for all knowledge and wisdom that you possess. May you make it freely available to us. But Father, for those who are here, I pray that you would rest upon them, that you would baptize them by your Spirit to be your witnesses in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have further questions about this, go home and do a Bible study on it. Just start reading through the passages. And if you have questions, bring them back. If you think you missed it, Go home and pray again. Pray all the time. Say, Lord, I know it says by faith, and I'm supposed to believe you, but I'm a man of little faith. Help my unbelief. And so I'm going to pray again. Now, if you don't have anything, just wait. The Lord will manifest, will fill you at some particular point, and you'll be able to go out and do things that you never thought possible. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He enacts his will in your life. So that's it. Um, you know what? Let's close with a song. Let's everybody stand.